Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined by uh, a, a few uh, folks, uh, my co-hosts, obviously, uh, and colleagues, Ryan uh, Sweet. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Mark? I'm tired, Ryan. You know, feels like it's only, what, 9.30, and it feels like I've been up for five hours. I, everything is behind. I, I'm not sure what to make of all that. Uh, it's busy. It's, a, it's, it's busy. crazy now. It's crazy busy. Uh, and we got Chris Dorides. Chris, uh, Chris is the deputy chief economist. How are you, Chris? Doing well, uh, Mark. How are you? I, you're, well, you're Chris, tired. I'm tired, man. I'm tired. Uh, I thought you it was sound just tired me. too. You, you, yeah, I, you're 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 not as sharp as you generally are. Uh, that's right. Like. I, I need another coffee here. But uh, and I had 20 ounces of my Wawa coffee, which is atypical. Usually it's 16, 20. I'm. Maybe that's You're the off problem. the hazelnut though, right? Actually, not. I went. Oh, I had gosh. I had hazelnut today. Well, that, you know, I was thinking about pumpkin spice. I contemplated it for you know a few seconds, but couldn't pull it's, the trigger. It's too early for pumpkin spice. You got to oh, wait till gosh. October. Well, uh, it, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's still kind of summerish out. Oh, it's supposed to change. First day of uh, autumn, right? Oh, true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're taping this on September twenty first. So it, when is autumn? It's like tomorrow or something, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. And we got Dan White. Dan, uh, our colleague who, hey, Dan, you got to say something. I do. I will say something. Okay. Mark, I, I don't get to, <laughs> I don't get to listen to these every week. Like everybody else does. Everybody should. Right. But I listened to the one with Doug the other day because he's one of my favorites. Have yeah. you really never had a Chicago hot dog? Is that possible? I I have never had a, no, how, I, I didn't even know they were possible? a thing. I didn't even know they were a thing. Really, Ryan, you and Chris didn't give him nearly as hard a time on that as you should have. Like that's ridiculous. Well, we beat him up a lot over Guns and Roses, so I had to take him easy, take it easy on him on the hot dog. I'm gonna Love stop me. listening to it because every time I listen to it, I get Guns and Roses or the hot dog one, and I'm like, I don't know if I can listen. I to tell this. you what, we're all gonna go to Chicago and we're gonna have a hot dog while listening to Guns and Roses. That's that's Red definitely Hots, on the yes. bucket list. And, and where I'm are we in. doing this? I mean, I so assume we're gonna go to like the, the Cubs game or something. Watch that. No, is that where you get the hot dog? Anywhere you just At, get off oh, the anywhere. airplane and then they're right there in the airport. <laughs> what? Wait, is that true? I mean, what am I been missing this all my life? I, what are you guys they're talking? All over. Did you know they're all over? They're all over. <laughs> all, right. all right, I didn't know that. Well, Dan, Dan is uh, uh, manages our state and local government practice, and I say government practice generally, federal government, state and local, and does a fabulous job at that. We have you were on the podcast early on uh, about a year ago, so it's good to have you back. I on. was, yeah, back when you guys were just getting started. But now you guys are a big deal. Every time I talk to a client, they tell me how much they love the podcast. I was just it, on with some folks in Utah yesterday. They were just raving about it. They listen to us in Utah. Cool. Yeah, Matt, Maddie from Utah listens to you every week. So this Matt, will be a test, Maddie. Maddie. If I get an email from you, I'll know you actually listen to each one. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I, we we are having a lot of fun with this, and uh, we also have another guest, Bill. Bill Glasgow. Bill, how are you? I'm just I'm just great. Oh, I thought uh, you were going to say I'm peachy. Do you were going to well, say I'm peachy? No, no I'm uh, just fantastic. I think <laughs> fantastic. is the word. And and what I want to know right off the bat before yeah. we get around to talking about serious, serious, serious stuff is since the start of the year, since January 1st, how much has the price of a 20 ounce Wawa hazelnut coffee and a Chicago hot dog gone up? And Ooh. if you guys don't have the answer, uh, we need it. That is, that actually is a reasonably good question. I, I, I don't know the answer. You know why? Because it doesn't matter, Bill. It could be, you know, it could go up 300%. I'm still buying that Wawa coffee. I'm right, totally I want to see an elastic. I want to see, you know, the Economist has the Big Mac Index. I want to see the Moody's Economics, uh, Wawa Coffee Index, and the and the, the, the Chicago Hot Dog Index okay, uh, we, very we, soon. Yeah, we can, we can work on that. We can work on that. And uh, are you, did you know about the Chicago Hot Dog thing? I mean, I like of course. I'm, I'm, of course. My mother, my mother came from Chicago. Of course I know about Chicago Hot Dogs. Where have you, where, you know, you're Yeah, where have I been? I, I don't where know. I didn't been? know about Guns N' Roses either until recently. So You guys uh, don't even know about the difference between pork roll and Taylor ham. Well, that's which definitely is, which, true. Which is, which is no difference at all except where you live in Jersey. I'm a little nervous about this interview. I must admit, <laughs> you know, way too much stuff. <laughs> you know, way too much stuff. Uh, but Bill, it's great to have you, and I've gotten to know you uh, 
during the pandemic, really, because you've been uh, teaming up with uh, Susan Wachter at the at Penn at Wharton and putting on uh, these. Um, uh, are, there, are they webinars? What would you call them? Uh, they're they're special briefings. And so special uh, it's briefings. A, it's a monthly webinar series, and we're, we've we've had Dan on, we've had you, Mark on, we're, and people from the Moody's rating side and S and P and all over the place. And uh, the special briefing podcast is coming out right about the same time this uh, this podcast is going to appear. So we'd. Uh, Love to have, love to have you and your listeners join us either in the monthly uh, in the monthly webcasts or in the in the podcast version. Cool, and uh, this is part of your you're the executive director at the Volcker Alliance, or are you managing I'm, the Volcker Alliance? I'm the 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 senior director for public finance at Got the Volcker Alliance, and also a fellow like you at Penn IUR. Oh, that's right. I, I didn't. That's how Susan kind of fits into Indeed. all this. I got it. I got it. And can you tell us a little bit about your your history? How did you land, at, uh, you know, all these years at the Volcker Alliance, and a little bit about the Volcker Alliance too? I, I just for the listener to get a sense of that. Sure. Well, the Volcker Alliance was was set up uh, in 2013 by Paul Volcker, uh, the late Fed chairman, and Jay Powell's uh, Jay Powell's mentor, really. Uh, refers to him all the time. And uh, Paul was a lo longtime public servant. His father was a public servant, and he really wanted to improve the, uh, the efficiency and the, the knowledge, uh, the effectiveness of, of the public service. Uh, where I came along, where I came along is I learned about municipal finance, mostly through my time at Bloomberg, running state and local state and local coverage. I'm a longtime economic and financial journalist at various places, including Business Week, Bloomberg, S&P. And uh, Dick Ravitch, the former lieutenant governor, was uh, Paul's sweet mate and wanted to continue a program he had started about uh, state and local budgeting. I, I took it over and we launched the truth and integrity and in state budgeting uh, scorecards, uh, report cards that came out every year through 2019, looking at, at how sustainable in a, in a fiscal sense and how transparent state budgets are, where they could be improved. Uh, we've we've helped uh, some states, including Utah and Idaho, uh, New Jersey even uh, in, improve their improve some of their their budget effectiveness and budget transparency. And when the pan, when the pandemic came along, we decided everything is one time funds now. It's it's kind of hard to give out grades when there's so much tumult in the system. So we're we're doing issue papers, conferences for now, and we'll go back to doing uh, to to grading the budgets. Now that things are hopefully returning to somewhat normal, and we can talk about what normal is. Uh, so that's that's it in a in a very short nutshell. Great. Well, it's, it's good to have you aboard. And you know, uh, I should have said this up top, but you know, clearly we're here in this podcast focused on the state and local government sector, which you know it's interesting when you, as a macroeconomist, um, you know, we spend a boatload of time trying to understand what the consumer is going to do and what businesses are going to do and trade and inventories federal government, but we generally kind of don't pay much attention to state and local government. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty big piece of the pie, isn't it, uh, Ryan? What, you know, how do you, or, or Dan, do you guys have any sense of, I can't quite remember in the, in the data, what percent of GDP is state and local government expenditures? Do you know? I do. Oh, you do. Okay. What is yeah, that? It's close to 20%, it, I think, right? Yeah. It's, it's, no. yes, it is. It's close to 20%. Uh, no, no. State, state, it's, State and local government. Government is government. Not, state and local government. Not okay. not not. We're not talking about state GDP, but state and local government counts for about three three trillion dollars and change a year. Oh yeah, but that's not GDP. That's no, total that's not, expenditures. That's, right. that's the total expenditures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. GDP. But in terms it's of more, it's, it's I think it's closer to sixteen percent. It's like it's about one sixth yeah. of the economy usually when you look at it. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, and if you look okay, at that's it, even more right. surprising to me. Right? If you look mm -hmm. at it another way, it's an issue that we're exploring right now at, at the Volcker Alliance with some partners. Uh, the federal government, Congress, puts about a trillion dollars a year, $900 billion a year, roughly, in, 
into states, counties, cities, school districts, uh, and and the like, in turn, in grants, and uh, and also tax tax exemptions, tax credits, and whatnot. Uh, so. That is that's something that's not very well studied and certainly not very well regulated. It, every every program funded by the feds is highly regulated and highly structured. Uh, the big picture, uh, Congress doesn't pay a heck of a lot of attention to, uh, nor to the fact that the, the $4 trillion municipal market, which is the principal infrastructure funding facility for the whole country, uh, is essentially unregulated and has been since 1975. Hmm. Yeah, can you, uh, Ryan? You, you got the computer screen up, don't you? Yeah. Like this one, do you know what percent of GDP is state and local government? Is it? 16? Sorry, I just took a an average over the last few years. It's seventeen percent. It yeah. is seventeen. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Dan. I just had to <laughs> I had to check it because that, that's my know, one statistic for the day. There you go. I win. And that and that goes to my point. How surprising that is, right? I mean, that's a big deal. Like business investment is. I think it's less than that, isn't it? If I look at if I look at total business invest fixed investment, Ryan, can you look at that? Yeah, you know, what is yeah? Give you, I'll give you a second to go look at that. I think actually, state and local is probably bigger than fixed investment. Okay, here maybe we can start the conversation. So it's a the point. It's a it's a big part of the economy. We tend not to really, at least macroeconomists tend. I know you guys do, but macroeconomists don't really spend a lot of time or uh, focus on that, uh, which is probably a huge mistake. We take uh, care of it so you don't have to, Mark. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. We need, and, and that's why, you know, you're so, so key to, you know, our thinking about this. So maybe we can begin the conversation around uh, just kind of the financial health of state and local governments broadly. And, Bill, if you don't mind, let me let me throw that to Dan first, and then uh, I'll turn it back to you. Uh, Dan, how would you characterize the current finances of state and local governments generally? It's funny you should ask, because uh, Emily Mandel, who's taking over a lot of our state and local government work and is fantastic, is actually finalizing our stress tests right now, the stress tests that we do every year. Uh, and what we're finding is that states have never been in better shape financially than they are right now. They've never been better prepared for a recession. Uh, the stress tests are going to find that about 39 states can handle a recession without really having to raise taxes or cut spending right now. And that is just orders of magnitude higher than, than we normally see in these kinds of instances. Bill, would you concur with that? Is that kind of, uh, I mean, that was pretty definitive, I thought. Dan saying they're in great financial shape. Is that Oh, I, I, I agree. I'd put a couple of asterisks next yeah. to it because uh -huh. uh, because I, I like to always see my journalistic training says, you know, see see the other side of the uh, the other side of the moon, too. And right. Rainy, state rainy day funds are close to a record high. Uh, especially in terms of in terms of spending, states went into COVID in really really good shape. Uh, in a way, not surprising because you had the longest economic recovery since 1857. Um, states finally cured a lot of their worst excesses in terms of covering but ongoing budget needs with one-time expenses. So they built up their rainy day funds. Uh, so. When the bottom fell out of the economy briefly, uh, states were better off than, than you'd expect. Then states, cities, counties uh, all got huge infusions, not just $350 billion in direct budget money, but all of the, all of the, the, COVID, uh, uh, the COVID aid, plus all of the aid to individuals that, re that ended up in increased spending and increased savings and generated more sales and income taxes. So states are, states are, are cooking now. So, uh, you know, in terms of the health of state and local government finances, you both with, you know, obvious, the obvious caveats and asterisks that it's about as good as it, it's ever been in, in the data that you've observed. Is that fair to say? Yeah. In the data, you can't find data that's better than this. So, right. And, but data is only, we've only really got good data back to the mid 1980s or so on a lot of this stuff. So. And when you say that, that goes to the strength of the revenue growth, the tax revenue growth. And it goes to, uh, you observe rainy day funds. So the rainy day funds, these are cash accounts that state and local governments have set up for a rainy day. And yep. they all are full uh, at this point. 
They're they're full, but um, to Bill's point, they're full from before the pandemic. So states went uh, into were. the pandemic. Oh, okay. They went into the pandemic in better shape than they've ever been. And if you couple that with the economic growth we saw at the outset and all of that federal money that flowed in both to states directly and through the rest of the economy and then ended up in tax revenue, that really gave them you know, a huge advantage going into whatever period of economic. We, I'm sure we can debate that, debate that for hours, but whatever the economy looks like over the next few years, they're about as prepared for it as they've ever been. Okay. Hey, Bill, do you know, are there any states, I mean, because some states are better managed than others from a fiscal perspective. I mean, I think the poster child for troubled fiscal management is like Illinois, you know, would be kind of a poster child. Is every state, including an in Illinois, in good financial, a good financial situation right now? Or are there still shades of differences here? I, I think shades of differences would be okay. would be correct in the in the immediate term it, yes every, every state is in good fiscal shape and, and i know what you're dealing with states here uh we could take a, a, a slight detour if you'd like in a moment for about new york city but you know you still have overhanging this uh substantial pension underfunding in many states red and blue uh, the, some of the states have been very, very responsible in putting extra money to pay down their pension debt. Connecticut is a great example. Illinois, even. Uh, so, you've, you know, Kansas, Illinois, the usual suspects, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, California. Th these are states with, with big pension debts and debts for what's called OPEB, which is retiree health care. Uh, those those run into the into the many trillions of dollars. They'll probably be resolved over time, but they're still there. Infrastructure is another big if. A lot of maybe a trillion dollars in deferred maintenance. That's sort of on the books, not really. It's 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 not a well a well understood or well reported liability. So there are issues. Right. Okay. And we're going to come back to those. But at the point current point in time. Dan, any any states or localities that kind of stand out as still troubled, despite all the good stuff that's happening? Yeah, well, it's difficult. There's, there's shades of gray, but the the usual suspects are still not in great shape. So okay. Illinois, we mentioned earlier, um, the one that is a big change, and you'll see this in the stress test when it comes out, is Alaska. Um, they're usually number one in terms of preparedness, but they've blown through a lot of their reserves in the last yep. ten years or so, and they they've run out of reserves. They really don't have any left, and so. Um, there's a couple, it's really a handful of states that would have to make any kind of extraordinary fiscal action if we had a, a recession, but they're still out there. Got it. Okay. And Alaska is a it, Alaska is is an odd duck for for many reasons. You know, it's it it lives on on oil revenue and government and government funding. Uh, it has a sixty billion dollar permanent fund. So it's reserved for the day when oil runs out. That has helped feed the rainy day fund, which has been used to balance the budget for time immemorial. So Alaska's Alaska's budget lives on a kind of a knife edge, uh, good times and, and bad. Hmm. Okay. And, and Dan, uh, you mentioned these, these stress tests a couple of times. Do you still want to quickly explain what that is to the listener? Sure. Yeah, it's something we've been doing um, on and off since about 2014. And it kind of takes a, a page out of what Chris and, and Ryan and you have done a lot with the banks, which is stress testing their budget. So we take alternative economic scenarios and we run them through our revenue forecast and our Medicaid forecast because, because it's a mandatory spending item. When, when we go into a recession, increased spending on Medicaid is almost as important as losing tax revenue because um, they've got to make up for that money somehow. So we run through those and we see uh, what the fiscal shock would be for those states. And then we look at how prepared they are for that fiscal shock. And what that tells us is who are the states that are going to have to raise taxes a whole bunch and who's going to have to cut spending in the middle of a recession, because that's the worst time. You know, you go back to your macro one-on-one, -on -one, the last thing you want to do during a recession is raise taxes or cut government spending. And during the Great Recession, that's what a lot of states had to do. And it's one of the reasons why the Great Recession was followed by the not-so-great recovery. It, it took States in particular, more than 10 years to recover all the jobs that they lost during the Great Recession. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, so uh, back to you. Did you pull up the business investment as a share of GDP? I did. So it was a share of nominal GDP. It's 18%. Oh, a share of nominal GDP. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So it's about the same, roughly the same roughly as the same. Stanley, which is just, I, I wouldn't have said that. 
I, I should I should know that off the you know, but I would you have said that, Ryan? No, I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised. The one contribution that'll be interesting to watch to that point is not just the GDP, but the employment number. If you look yeah. at the overall employment, it has been as a share of total, it has been falling significantly in the last 20 years. If you look at um, the one number that we just called out in our piece that we did last week is um, if you look at state government non-education, so you take the schools, the universities out of it, they're at the lowest level of employment they've been since 1993 in an absolute number. So in 1993, we had more state government employees outside of colleges than we have today. Well, I think the pandemic did a number on K through 12, right? I mean, getting right so ex excluding yeah. k through 12 that's just yeah. state government oh so these i see are, you know your, your oh, state, state government and, okay yeah just state government i see interesting well, state governments are very are, are very gun shy uh and they're they're actually state and local governments are all uh, approaching a huge watershed because the workforce is getting older yeah uh, covid's covid has has accelerated the retirements and yeah, what are they going to do? Will they will they continue to do what the federal government has done and just outsource a lot of jobs to nonprofits, consulting firms? You especially see this in the in the Medicaid arena, and the i and the uh, and the technology arena, and that may be that that may be the the course. So rather than take on those huge pension liabilities and OPEB liabilities, uh, make it somebody else's problem. Hey, I think so, that's a big uh, opportunity, though, Bill. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, that's ahead. a big opportunity because what states are doing is yeah. now that they've got all this money from the federal government, the, the, the knock against that bill has been for the longest time. We can't do the technology investment. We can't bring in the outsourcers because we just don't have the cash, right. especially one-time cash. Now they've got all kinds of one-time right. cash. It's a really great opportunity for them to change those processes and make them a lot more efficient than they've ever been. Yeah, you know, uh, turning back to the link between state and local government and the broader economy, macro economy, and this is a narrative I have in my mind, and I, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but historically, you know, during recessions and on the backside of recessions, early recovery, state and local governments are kind of retrenching, they're pulling back, they're not adding to economic growth. In fact, in, obviously, in the wake of the financial crisis, they were a big drag on economic growth, you know, coming out of that recession for the first part of that recovery. It was really only until the end of that long expansion that they started to really kick into gear in terms of contributing to economic growth. Uh, in the current environment, it's, it doesn't feel like they're adding to growth to any significant degree, which I'm curious about why, given their financial situation. But they're not, I guess they're not subtracting from economic growth. Is, is that narrative right, roughly right? Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, if it's, yeah. the, the spending side... They're contributing a lot more on the spending side than the employment side, but on the spending side, their nominal numbers are really being squeezed by inflation. Their their real impact has been almost zero, but their nominal numbers are up like seven or eight percent. That's okay, a but... that, that's a really really important point. Uh, budgets for state budgets for fiscal twenty three, uh, according to to NASBO, it's the state budget officers. So they they. They have state budgets for 23 up about 1% 1, 1 and a fraction in nominal terms. So in real terms, state state spending is really going, going backwards, if I do my arithmetic right. And where you see where you see strong revenue collections uh in real terms, it's it's in sales taxes because it's you know the sales taxes rise along with the goods prices. Um uh, income taxes uh are not going to be are not going to be following. Uh, following inflation up, so, uh, so settled. Yeah. So, so despite these extraordinarily good financial conditions, state and local governments are not adding to economic growth, and sounds like maybe even a drag. If you know nominal is low single digit, inflation is mid high single digit, then real is declining. How do you square that circle? You know, or, or maybe what we're not picking up here is the tax cutting that some of the state and local governments are doing. Because I'm looking just at the, I'm not, I'm looking at the kind of the expenditure side. They could also be helping the economy out if they're cutting tax. You know, all, well, helping I guess depends on your prism. You know, given the high inflation, but do I, anything to add there? I mean, I'm a little confused by it. Why aren't we seeing more government, state and local government spending going on? At least in the data. I, my my anecdotal 
opinion is that they're being careful. They've learned some lessons from the from the the recovery from the Great Recession. They uh, uh, we've done a lot of survey work on how states are spending their their one hundred ninety five billion dollars share of the state and local fiscal recovery fund. Uh, they've been pretty good, uh, with a couple exceptions, on not using that that hundred ninety five billion to prop up existing programs, continuing programs that, that will have no visible source of support when the money runs out in 2026. Uh, so they're they're using this money to, to fill holes uh, where they can. The tax cut, a lot of the, the there's about 30, 32, 33 states that have done some kind of tax reduction move, rebates, credits, actual reductions. It's it's a lot of it is really focused on uh on giving money back. So it's it's money they collected Money they collected and they're just you know they're they're, they're handing it back to you. Uh, okay. I'm so, so the good the good uh, strong finances are the result of a few things. Just to summarize, to get, see, make sure I have it right. One is they kind of came into the pandemic in a pretty good spot, you, you know, financially. Second, uh, they have been cautious in kind of managing their finances. You know, wanting to build those rainy days and obviously not spending a lot of it mm -hmm. on a real basis. Uh, third, they got a lot of support from the federal government. We, you've alluded to that bill a few times. The American Rescue Plan that was passed in March of 21, I think it had $500 billion in total for state and local. A big chunk of that was for schools, like $150 billion were for K through 12, I believe. And then another $350 billion right. went basically checks cut to state and local governments right. and they, they have through when 2026 to spend that or to use that money. Is that right? Right. From that, that that's, that's right. 2026. And there's yeah. some, there's some other uh, school aid that expires in 2025. It's very important for New York city. Yeah. And then uh, of course the economy has been strong uh, broadly yeah. and that's helped, uh, you know, and the stock market had been strong and now back in, which actually helps, at least temporarily, juice up uh, personal income tax revenues in states with capital gains because people are taking capital gains on the on the high right. uh, realize they're realizing the gains that that they've accrued. Uh, so tax revenue is very strong, and then, of course the inflation has been strong. So that adds to state and local government that, that adds to sales taxes, and then until recently house prices is very strong. So that adds to property tax. So everything kind of sort of going in the right direction for state and local governments, and thus their current financial situation. Okay. All right. Well, let, then let's turn to. So, did I have that right? Did I get that right? You know, you, you guys, uh, Bill, Dan, did I miss anything? That that feels about right. Okay. Um, so, what are they? We've talked about this a little bit, and uh, but you know, what are they doing with all this cash, or what do they have planned? Uh, you know, to do with all this, uh, all these resources going forward. Are, are we going to see state and local governments kind of become more of a contributor to broader economic growth, more jobs, more GDP, you know, more support to the economy, Bill? Is that is that in train? I don't I, I don't see state and local employment as a as a big engine of growth. Maybe Dan will disagree with me. I, I, I think there's a lot of conservatism baked into uh, baked, baked into this the system here. Um, it's it's just you know every everybody uh, everybody's complaining we we have we have open positions you there was a survey of the of the by the associated general contractors a few weeks ago and every state they surveyed said we don't have enough engineers we don't have enough finance people architects you know ditch diggers you you name it but they didn't have enough they didn't have enough of these people before the pandemic either um so there's so Governments are are making do with uh, with with smaller workforces or smaller workforces per dollar of output, if if you will, and I I don't see there I don't see that that changing. New York City was a bit of an outlier, uh, especially under the previous administration, added about ten percent to the to the workforce. Uh, New York City was was really flush. Uh, now the city's got. Uh, a, a rainy day fund that's that that would cover about half of the deficits that that the Adams administration envisions over the next three years. Uh, so New York City's got some New York City's got some fiscal cliff issues when the federal money runs out. That may not 
not be unique, but mass transit systems are going to are going to have some some big issues. New Jersey is investing quite heavily now in new new train sets, uh, station upgrades. They're 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 actually putting money into capital. Uh, not clear what's going to happen if there's a recession and and no federal funds. Right. Right, well, Dan. Uh, what do, what do you think state and local governments are going to do with all, all this financial resource that they have right now? Are they going to be uh, bills making the case that they're going to remain cautious uh, and I guess one more one time projects than standing up programs that require ongoing funding? Although that's happening too. Is that is that rough? Is that roughly your view on on how this is playing he's, out? He's on the he's on the right track, but I think there's going to be there's going to be a, a decent sized GDP hit from states as they spend this money because it's got to go out yeah. the door. It has to go somewhere, but it's going to be all one time, and, and I think rightfully so because the reason states are being so conservative is because this is one time money. They've seen what happens when you take one time monies and put them into recurring programs. It's really really ugly. It's a lot of problems. So they're putting it all into these one time. Um, things. I think where the opportunities are, and I think hopefully this will help in the future, they're not going to find enough workers to fill all these jobs the way they used to, to Bill's point. So they've got to be investing in process improvements and in technological improvements, and in some cases, bringing in outsourcers. I know Bill talked about that earlier, but you've seen the labor market that we're in, Mark, better than anybody. It's a really hard labor market to exist in right now. Imagine not being able to raise people's salaries, not being able to add positions, not being able to do all these things. There's a lot of handcuffs that are around government um, hiring managers, and they just can't operate in this dynamic of a, a labor market. They need some of those contractors to come in and be a little bit more dynamic with hiring and things, and that's really what they've got to do. You said hit to GDP. Did you mean uh, add to GDP? Yeah, I'm sorry. It'd be a, a bump to GDP. There should a bump be a bump to GDP. to GDP from them spending. Yeah. So, so you think because they have all this cash, they have to, especially the uh, American Rescue Plan money, they've got to spend that or de deploy it, tax cuts, right. whatever, by 2026. So that's the next several years. Then that, as they deploy that, that will help support economic growth here. So the state and local governments, unlike coming out of the financial crisis when they were a headwind, they're going to be a tailwind to economic growth. Yeah, and it could be a marginal tailwind to Bill's point, but they're still going to be a tailwind in terms yeah, of some okay. of that investment, especially technological investment, things like that. Yeah, and, and your your broader other point is this is maybe a GDP thing. It's Jobs are going to be a lot harder. Jobs, uh, jobs are going to take forever. I mean, it took twice as long in the Great Recession for them to come back, for state and local jobs to come back. And you use that same logic. It's going to be at least another three years before state and local government payrolls get anywhere near where they were before the pandemic. You know, Bill, it used to be the case before Dan joined me, uh, I would get invited to all of these, you know, NASBO, NGA, you know, all these functions, FTA. Now I don't get a call from any of them. They go right to Dan, which they you still know, they still love you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> is that right? Uh, That's what they tell uh, me. They say, "Tell Mark we." I still need love some him. love. I need some love. Uh, I, I get a call every once in a while. But they they like me because I think like a budget officer. I have like correctly predicted seven of the last two recessions, and that's exactly <laughs> how they think, and that's how they love. And they oh, love it that's the You're trick. Just too optimistic for them. Yeah. Oh man. It, oh that you know what? There's I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. In a way, it doesn't matter that that you predicted seven of the last two recessions. What matters is that you're doing stress tests, and what matters is is the states that are doing stress tests and long term long term budget scenarios. There's only about we have a paper on this coming out, uh, God willing, in, in a couple of months. Uh, there's about about half the states don't don't look much beyond the end of their nose. They 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 look at the fiscal year and then. Yeah, Maybe Bill. You're out. If you, can I say if you keep talking like that, you're not going to get invited to any of these things? No, I, no, no, no. We're, yeah. we're, 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 I, I'm very happy to to criticize and to praise the states <laughs> like Utah uh, or Maryland. They, okay, they, there. Now he's sucking up. You see that? Now uh, he's sucking up. He realized he, he went overboard. Shout out to you. He, he went another shout out. To, he wants uh, to go to you. They're my friends. He, he wants to go to Park City or something. You, not, you know, I can feel it. I'm just saying that that I'm just states, you, Bill. states and cities, you know, state states and cities that that 
can can invest a little bit to take a long term a long term view. They're not going to hit it on the they're not going to hit the nose. They hit it right on the nose. What they're going to do is look at possibilities. Uh, so, what's our structural deficit? New York City does this. Maryland does a great job of this. What's our structural deficit going out four years? So, it, so then we can apply uh, your and and Dan's best case scenario, mid case scenario, worst case scenario, and look at look at at what's going to what might happen to revenues. And that's really really important. And not enough states do this and should. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I just want to just uh, end that conversation on. Uh, the relationship between state and local governments and the economy and back to jobs. And I, I have been invited to a few events. And the, the one question I have been getting is help me with my labor supply problem. What, what should I do? And I've been flummoxed by that question, but you seem to, your answer, Dan, seemed to be uh, labor saving technology investment. I got to improve productivity. I've got to, you know, yeah. do do more. Provide these services with with fewer people. Is that is that the answer? This is a great economist answer, but it depends, right? It depends on what they're trying to fill. If they're trying to fill call center people to answer unemployment insurance stuff, that's outsource that. That's that's an mm -hmm. easy one to outsource. But if it's you know you know economists in the state budget office, that's different. That you got to attract it. And and where state and local governments are seeing, you know, for the last 25 years go down is that as all those pension issues have popped up, we've had to issue, we had to deal with not being able to offer as good benefits, the OPEB and the, the, the other post-employment benefits and in all that stuff that they used to use to attract people and keep them there for their whole careers. They're not as generous as they used to be. And so they need to come up with other tools to, to keep people in, in, in the, the workforce. Yeah. Anything to add there, Bill, on the well, labor and supply? That's that's difficult. It, you yeah. know, it, if we have a recession, what what's your what's your odds uh, as of as of this oh, taping? You're, you're well, hang on, your, Bill. You didn't you didn't ask me what was easy, and you just said how do we fix it? It doesn't necessarily well, make it easy. I, I fix it. Uh, it's it's. I think it's going to be technology, higher higher yeah. salaries, higher compensation where where need be if if they can afford it. And for the states that are that are cutting income taxes, going to a flat tax, cutting tax rates, um, they may be constraining their 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 futures. Uh, they're doing great now, and they can give it back. Uh, I like the states that are cutting taxes with a trigger. So if if revenue if revenue doesn't make a, a certain hurdle, then they won't then they won't do the next tax cut. So even the states, some states like Indiana, are, are being are being cautious about tax cuts. You know, we want to make sure it's there. Yeah, I I, I want to come back to some of the challenges, longer term challenges the state governments, uh, you know, face. But one other question I had was the infrastructure uh, legislation passed at the federal level uh, back last fall is going to provide a lot of funds for infrastructure projects. You know, and that's starting to kick into gear. I think in starting up now, but really in 23, and then particularly in 24, 25, does that complicate things for states? Does that supplement or, you know, how, how does that, or is there, is there any kind of relationship at all between that legislation and, and what state and local governments are going to be doing? Just, I don't think it, it complicates it. Dan probably okay. has the macro picture. I, I, I it's, it's, uh, of that trillion dollars, about about half of the trillion dollars in the in the infrastructure bill is half of that was the highway bill was was already was spending that it was, was already there pretty yeah. much already planned and continuing. Yeah. So so you're talking about spreading five hundred billion dollars. It's a big number, but over ten years. Okay. Uh, a lot of a lot of states and cities are are complaining that. Uh, that bridge that was going to cost me two hundred million dollars is now costing me three hundred million. Yeah. Uh, it may be that this money won't go as far, but fifty, you know, fifty, so fifty billion dollars a year in a twenty trillion dollar economy. I, I'll, leave, I'll let you do the math. And, Got it. And and it's a, it's a it'll be a marginal extra kick, a nice a nice nice boost for jobs, a nice boost for uh for, for the states to be sure. But it, I don't think this is going to be uh, an epical event. Yeah. What, when, when the Congressional Budget Office, the you know, federal budget keepers, you know, kind of think about infrastructure spending at the federal level, they always make an assumption that state and local governments, because they're the ones that are kind of on the front lines of the infrastructure spending, actually pull back on the spending they would have done otherwise. So the net impact on infrastructure spending is reduced. 
Does that does that resonate in this case as well? I mean, is that is that going to happen here too, Dan? Do you think? Yes, yeah. CBO has done some really good work on that historically, and they've probably got the best numbers out there on it. But to to build point, there's a lot of differentiation from one state. The regional impacts of this are going to be huge. The states who were ready, who had their, you know, I hate to use that great recession shovel ready thing again, but the states who had everything ranked and prioritized, this is what if we get money we're going to spend on before. They got that money out the door fast, and they got it allocated quickly. Yeah. They're not getting hit by inflation as much. But the ones who went, oh, here's an extra couple hundred million dollars. What do we do with it? They're not going to see the same benefit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's turn to the challenges. And Bill, you mentioned, and Dan, you mentioned a few. Uh, and I want to get a sense. I'm going to uh, list a couple, and maybe you can add to the list, and then we can you can tell me which you think is at the top of the list of concerns that we should focus on. You, you, you met, we talked about the uh, expiration of the American Rescue Plan money in 2026, and I think you characterized it as a, like a, a cliff, a fiscal cliff. So I got all this cash, I got all this money, it's gone. So you know what happens on the other side of that? Uh, you mentioned the pensions; uh, it's kind of been a perennial, uh, long-term issue. Uh, and then you've also mentioned the fact that some states are using the current environment to, uh, you know, fund ongoing. Uh, spending or tax cuts that, you know, aren't triggered in any way. They're kind of there. And, you know, what happens, you know, at the other end? Are, are there other things that should be on that list of longer term challenges? And, and, and what should be at the top of the list? It, well, the, the problem that states are seeing is that state government budgets have started to look an awful like the federal budget and not in a good way. So more of the state budgets goes to Medicaid and other social right. benefit payments than ever has gone in the past. And the reason is that the, the inflation on those programs over the last 20, 30 years has gone at a much faster pace than tax revenues. And so they're supplanting from education or whatever else they used to spend that money on, and they're spending more of it on Medicaid. It's one of the reasons why they just can't afford to have as many employees as they used to do. That's the same problem that the federal government is saying, and it's just slowly going to eat away more and more and more. And so they either have to get much more efficient at all those other services, or they've got to change Medicaid. And they can't change it. They've got to have the federal government change that for them. I, I, I agree. Medicaid has been increasing very steadily in real terms for forever, since the 1970s, uh, and, and taking up a bigger share of, of state spending. As and as we as as our society ages, uh, it's you know an, an ever bigger an ever bigger piece of the pie. There's a very interesting immediate question for Medicaid that maybe Dan knows more about that than I do. Is is that the, the states are getting special special COVID dispensation? Even the states that didn't take expanded Medicaid uh, support. So this this is. Sort of from six months to six months to six months, uh, declaring medical emergencies. At some point, either this this special funding is going to end, or or we're going to decide that COVID uh, that that COVID is a reality, and a lot of this special funding is is just is really ongoing funding. I have no idea how this comes out, but that's a that's a, a big budget concern for for states right now. How much money is that the, the COVID funding? Do you know? How big a how big big a deal is that the special? I'm muted. I can't remember the last um, the last numbers. It's it's like between fifty and seventy five billion a year. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. is. Oh, okay. It's, it's consequential. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the bigger consequence in the near term fire drill that they're going to run into, Bill, is when that money does expire, and most people assume it's going to expire in the first expire in the first quarter of next year when the COVID pandemic goes away is that they're going to have to do redeterminations on all of the people who came right. on to Medicaid during the pandemic. One of the strings attached to that money, Mark, was that you couldn't kick anybody off of Medicaid during the pandemic for mm -hmm. any reason. So even people who didn't qualify for Medicaid anymore had to stay on. Mm -hmm. So now they've got to go through mountains of paperwork and millions of people who joined Medicaid and figure out who still should be on Medicaid and who shouldn't. And they can't find the people to hire to, to do that. It's a huge workload and they've got to certain amount of time they got to do it and it's a big fire drill that they're going to be dealing with a lot lately hmm. okay. there's another uh th there's another uh wrinkle non-medicaid wrinkle which is uh unemployment insurance uh at at, at the peak states owed about 52 53 billion dollars many states uh habitually underfund their unemployment insurance programs because they can always go to the treasury and ask for a check uh, and it's and during COVID, 
uh, interest was was accrued but suspended on those uh, on those loans. So every, everything was fine. But there's, a, there's several states now with some large balances outstanding. Uh, California had about seventeen billion dollars in loans outstanding. New York has about eight uh, eight eight ish, I, I believe. Uh, Nobody knows what New York is going to do, uh, but the, it, it, I, I talked to one official in California who assumes that the state is going to raise taxes on employers to help pay this off. Uh, this is what New Jersey did uh, last year and, and this year. State of Michigan, after the Great Recession, uh, assessed put an, a special assessment on uh, on employers and use that uh, use that to to borrow uh, through the bond market to pay that off. So uh, New York's New York state's got an $8 billion mini fiscal cliff. It, you know, it's, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a, that's a good share of, of, of the budget. Um, California, $17 billion. It's not quite the same as, as the rainy day fund, but uh, there are taxes going up even now. Right. Okay. So to add to the list, um, the, the, the issues around Medi Medicaid that, have been uh, they were long running, but exacerbated by you know, the pandemic and yeah. the response to the pandemic and unemployment see, insurance Mark, also. You know, related. Yeah, see, Mark, this is why they like us because we're always full of sunshine and rainbows all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like well, no, that's what I want. I was asking: Is there any any other significant challenges? I'm I'm sure there are you know things that we don't even know that will come up, but anything like that's on the radar screen right now that you would call out as a challenge? You know, over the next uh, few years. I think uh, union uh, union labor agreements that are coming up for renewal ah. uh, are are a big deal. In in some places like New York State, if if uh, if unions don't come to an agreement, then the terms of the old contract remain in place. Uh, it, it's looking like unions are are not uh, are not gaining in real terms, so they're they're losing ground. But this this is a, a large issue for for New York City with a workforce of uh, authorized workforce of about three hundred and twenty thousand and tens of thousands of vacancies right now. Uh, that's where the city is saving saving a lot of money uh, at at the cost of reduced services. Right. Okay. Okay. So just to uh, sum up from a macroeconomic my kind of prism, the macroeconomic perspective, I would the way I, the, the way I'm landing based on the conversation is you know one. State and local government finances are good, about as good as they've ever been. Uh, two, uh, state and local governments are going to be uh, a, a bit of a tailwind to the economy, you know, over the course of the next several years. Uh, not a tailwind that's blowing really hard, but certainly not a headwind like it has been historically coming out of recessions, which is a good thing. Uh, but three, there are some pretty significant challenges here, some of which were long in the making, you know, pension plan, pension underfunding would be an example of that. Some exacerbated by the pandemic, the UI program, the Medicaid program, uh, you know, uh, that would qualify, and, and, and the, the expiration of the American Rescue Plan. Uh, and so we've got some challenges, you know, down the road here. But, uh, you know, for the time being, for the next few years, uh, we should get a, a bit of an economic tailwind from the state and local government. Is that fair? To, is that a good characterization of of the conversation, do you think? I think so. Bill, yeah. Bill okay. Yep. Yeah. Dan, okay. Okay. Good. Uh, Chris and Ryan, uh, any you know, you've been listening to the conversation. Uh, where would you, you know, we got a few more minutes left. You know, anything you'd want to a, a push and press on and explore? Anything I missed uh, that you'd like to ask Bill and uh, and Dan? I'll go to you, Chris, first. Yeah, no, I think you. I think it was excellent uh, summary of the current state and future states of the states. Um, I guess I, I was a bit surprised by the, or impressed by, if I'm reading correctly, that the states and go local governments have gotten more efficient over time. At least that was one of the takeaways mm -hmm. yeah. I took. And uh, another one was that it sounds like we, we need a push in terms of, we, we talk about infrastructure investment. It seems like government infrastructure investment uh, needs to occur as well to make this whole uh, equation work. Uh, you mentioned technology, labor-saving technologies, outsourcing, right? So it seems like more generally that has to be a priority not only for the states but for the national government as well. So did, did I uh, 
read that correctly? Yeah. Or Yeah, but to Bill's point, some of that improvement in efficiency is moving from the 18th century to the 19th century. It's not like they're moving from <laughs> 2010 to 2015. It, oh. it, there's, there's now, you may not be invited back. Matt, they're going to ask me back after that comment. <laughs> oh, they're, they're going to be the Jeez. first ones to say that. Yeah, right. Ryan, anything you want to the Googles and the Apples in there uh, as well to make some infrastructure investments? Is that what you're saying? They would love it, I'm sure. You know, but yeah. it, especially at the local level, there's a lot of those kind of um, things that just can make things a lot easier for everybody. Because if you can't have more people, you've got to get more productive. There's no other way to do it. Yeah. And Ryan, anything you wanted to press on or ask? or No, that, I mean, the only thing I would stress is that this tailwind is it's a small tailwind. I mean, the most that state and local governments have added to GDP since 1980 is six tenths of a percentage point. So, oh, really? You know, I was, in the discussion, I was wondering, I was like, yeah. man, maybe my recession odds are too high, but no. No, this, this it's marginal. Yeah. But, but it always is. To Mark's point, it, coming out of a recession, they're always a the government should be a tailwind because mm -hmm. it's what was supporting the economy during the, the downturn. And it should be. Although they typically state and local governments, correct me again, just so I have this right, they they are a headwind generally. You know, they are pro-cyclical. They're not counter-cyclical like the federal government. That's my yes. No, they should. Yeah, sentence. they should be yeah. a drag. They should. Be, yeah. I think we're getting our winds confused. Yeah. They should oh, be okay. a drag on growth after the. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Should be a drag on growth after the recession. They should always be a drag on growth. You, you know, Stan is flipping all these phrases. Hit means good. You know, bump means bad. I you know. Hey, you've got to get him on the podcast more often, so he gets. I've know. been I've been hitting the head a lot, Mark. You got to give me some grace. You got okay. I got it. Got to watch got out during the uh, statistics game with Dan, right? Uh, oh, I know. the signs right. and the minuses. Right. Yeah, yep. the pluses and the minuses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I, well, uh, this was a great uh, podcast, and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And Bill, I want to thank you for taking the time. And again, you've got a, the first edition of your podcast coming out on the special briefing podcast next Friday. Is that right? Uh, God willing, uh, on <laughs> Apple, Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the, all the same wonderful podcast platforms you're probably on too. Okay. Well, I promise uh, I'm going to tweet yours. You tweet mine and we're, we'll, you know, we'll be good. Sound yeah. good. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And we'll have you, uh, hopefully you'll be, uh, willing to come back on at some point in the future. And, uh, we, you know, Ryan strives to be a 49% right. So if you could just do 50, 51, you know, you're golden. So, uh, just saying, sorry, Ryan, I had to get that. Uh, I mean, I haven't, I have not ragged on you the entire podcast. I know I, this I, was I, a first. Yeah. Well, uh, with that, we're going to call this a podcast and, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care now. <laughs>